0: This is Human Capital, a GoalSpan podcast, and I'm Jeff Hunt. Human Capital is where I interview business thought leaders to uncover the deeply human aspect of work. I feel so fortunate on my show because I get to interview a diversity of guests, and today it is no exception. I have the pleasure of interviewing Sherry Dunn. And Sherry is the Managing Director and National Practice Leader at Arthur J. Gallagher & Company. And she specializes in compensation strategy and planning, performance-based incentive programs, and effective organizational design. She previously owned her own firm, Comp Analysis, but sold that to Gallagher several years ago. Most of you probably know who Gallagher is, but if not, they are an international insurance brokerage and risk management firm with this compensation arm. And they have approximately 30,000 employees and are headquartered in Itasca, Illinois. Welcome, Sherry.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Pleasure to see you. Well,
0: it's great to have you. And I was excited at the opportunity to talk with you today because compensation and performance management incentive plans are foreign to so many people. There's so much mystery around this topic. And so, I'm hoping that you can clear up some of the ambiguity that exists out there today.
1: I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> Start us out with your story about how you got into business in the beginning of your career maybe, and specifically how you ended up in this compensation realm.
1: Well, when I got out of Cal, I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. I had made changed my major many times ended up in psychology um, and I I went with my roommate to New York City because I couldn't think of anything else to do and she wanted me to drive her car. She didn't like to drive. Um, so we went and um, the first job I was able to find happened to be in what was then called the personnel department in a bank on Ra- Wall Street. So um, in that I had an opportunity to be exposed to Uh, a number of what we now call, of course, HR practices, including testing um, and statistical analysis and job descriptions and that sort of thing. And so I really, um, I was fortunate that my first position ever (laughs) was uh, working in that environment. And I really loved it. Um, I especially loved it because as a single young woman coming right out of college, I had this opportunity to test all the MBAs that were coming out of the Ivy League schools into the management training program.
0: So
1: (laughs) what's not to like? (laughs) Right, (laughs) exactly. Um, And when I returned to California, um, I also was fortunate to find a position with McKinsey and Company in San Francisco. Um, And my position there was in in really providing support to all the consulting engagements. And that's where I first had my exposure to compensation and the form of executive compensation. So um, I, I really loved doing that. I, you know, having a, a background in psychology um, really is helps me because it it merges the people part with the business part. It's really the intersection. Um, or as some people would say, where the rubber meets the road uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to business.
0: Sure. And I would imagine that the psychology piece is especially helpful when it comes to things like organizational design and development.
1: Yes, of course. So, and those are fundamental actually to ma- being able to pay employees correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it all ties together. And, you know, I really I really like the business part, and I also like the emotional part, because pay, let's face it, pay is a very emotional topic, um, both for employees and for employers, Mm -hmm. Um, so it's really where two sometimes competing priorities really clash, Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
1: so that's what makes it so interesting.
0: Definitely. And I think, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's so much mystery around it. I I just am reflecting on how we have such a diversity of listeners on this show. And for those that are not necessarily well-versed in compensation, give us a summary of what a compensation strategy and planning consultant does.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, So, well, the first thing we do uh, when our clients come to us is is find out what they're really trying to achieve and almost universally what employers are trying to achieve is to be first of all competitive meaning to pay what other employers are paying for comparable positions Um, and then secondarily maybe not secondarily sometimes it's the first concern is also to be able to pay equitably which is you know, hugely important, especially these days when we hear so much about social justice and so forth. So internal pay equity is clearly a a key criterion. In fact, um, we have had clients come to us solely because they're interested in uh, equity. Um, The third reason that employers come to us is for cost management. Because as you know, cost is often the highest, I mean, the salaries are often the highest cost in a a company's um, budget. Uh, So managing it is important, not only in terms of keeping costs low, but also keeping them uh, not too high. So both sides have consequences. Um, (laughs) And then the fourth one, especially in California is legal compliance. So as you know, we have a number of um, regulations and laws that impact pay practices, including the most recent in California, which was the Fair Pay Act, um, which became uh, effective in January of 2017. So as these laws go, it's fairly recent. And I would say, in my experience, very few employers are actually fully compliant with that. And part of what's happening is it's not being enforced. So, but we don't know how long that will last. So legal compliance is key. Um, and then finally, and this touches on your business, is the measurement of performance and using pay as an incentive to improve performance.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So those right. are the big five um, goals that employers have. So it's quite a tall order.
0: And I've, I've seen your performance management models in the past, and I really do believe they're transformational. And I think that it's so challenging for organizations to do that well, but I'm wondering if you can take a couple minutes just to talk about your, I mean, I would call it a transformational performance management model, the way you've structured it, but can you take a couple of minutes just to share with listeners what that looks like in terms of how it ties into compensation and incentive how that works? Oh,
1: it's my one of my favorite topics, Jeff. Thank you for asking. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: Performance is a big word. Um, And often when we speak with our clients about uh, performance, they treat it as a pretty narrow um, construct, if you will, that focuses on the annual review, which most people really hate. Um, So, but what I think is that performance is multifaceted. And it's really two kinds of um, activities, if you will. The first one is employee development. So this is where employers help employees by coaching, counseling, and training them uh, so that they can improve their behavioral and technical competencies. This one piece of it is helping the employee improve. And most employees really want their employers to help them along that path. Um, the other part is the linkage of performance outcomes to pay. Outcomes is the key word here. So and as, in your parlance, it would be goals. <laughs> so we, we think that if you really want to link pay to performance, whether it's base pay or incentive pay, you really need to measure uh, results. And they can be measured at the organizational level, they can be measured at the team level or at the individual level or all of them. And the only way in my mind that you can really do this effectively is to have goals that are measurable. Not just SMART goals, um, and they're important, but uh, goals that can be measured quantitatively so they can be systematically linked to outcomes. And we think that's in terms of quantity, quality, and timeliness. So most most employers these days aren't making this, the distinction between the employee development part and the measurement of the outcomes. And they're really two different things. Obviously, one is the means and the other is the ends. So they, they're linked, but they're mm-hmm. not the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm. So sometimes I would imagine employers, and, and we've seen this as well, uh, managers, will 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 think of goals and they'll they'll actually write activities instead of yes. the results or outcomes. Isn't that correct?
1: Yes, that's a big issue. Yes. Yeah. That's why goal setting requires training.
0: Got it. So I would imagine that must be a, a big component of what you do as well is because first of all, there's a level of education that you have to provide your clients so that they can truly understand. And then then you can develop these models, correct? Yes,
1: yes. Well, we we just completed a compensation plan update for one of our clients in Southern California. And um, we made a decision not to link pay adjustments to performance because they weren't confident that their ratings from their annual review were objective. Mm -hmm. And so we decided it's better not to link them to that Uh, rather than to link them to subjective measures. Um, But when we presented the plan to the board of directors, uh, one of the board members was adamant that no adjustment should be made without some linkage to performance. So we had this, we had a problem. We didn't have outcomes measures. uh, So we ended up using a really simple uh, interim, one-time only approach uh, to actually link uh, the uh, the adjustments to pay, but it it wasn't. I mean, to to performance, it wasn't really good. So re- requires this requires planning ahead, in my view. Yeah.
0: And with the outcomes that you would incentivize, uh, don't you actually provide a range for? the employee so they know very specifically what their incentive is going to be whether they hit their target their threshold or they've exceeded their isn't that correct
1: well there's different approaches to that and what you say is one where you you create a plan where if you achieve a certain percentage of your goals uh, that your incentive if it's a bonus will be such and so or your pay level will be so and so um, but the other approach is where the the organization creates a pool, a bonus pool, for example, um, that is tied to the organizational results. So you have a formula that has, you have a target bonus pool, and then you create the actual pool based on results. And then that is allocated. So the only disadvantage to that is you can't tell the employees ahead of time specifically what the bonus will be if they, as individuals, achieve the goal. So that's This is an issue between um, can the company afford to pay bonuses if the company doesn't achieve its goals. So there's a lot of planning and thinking that goes into this.
0: Right. Yeah, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay. And so looking back on the work that you've done with your clients, can you share maybe a case study where you've really helped transform pay structures and achieve these objectives with a client? Tell us a little bit about something that went really well
1: well what comes to mind is a long-standing client of ours it's a large nonprofit law firm um, and they have had um, over the years and we were working with them from when they had 50 employees to now over 500 uh, so as they grew they started creating more and more positions and of course all these new positions had new titles And eventually there were almost as many titles as people. Um, This is a pretty common occurrence. And so then um, the more different titles you have, the more different analyses you have to do in terms of the market and how they compare internally. So it became quite quite a task. And the outcome over the years was that we had many positions that were substantially similar but with different titles and in some cases, different pay levels. So it became uh, not only unwieldy from an administrative standpoint, but it became uh, unfair and hard to communicate to the employees. So a few years ago, we transformed that system into more of a template. Um, And so instead of creating new job uh, classifications, if you will, for every new position, um, we created standard sort of titles and career paths, um, and then new positions were fitted bit into that, and also, of course, all the existing positions. So uh, it's still a work in progress, but it's much easier to, com- to communicate and manage. So that's one example. You know, it's really initially in any of these plans, it's about determining how much a job is worth independent of the person and then determining where the person should be paid relative to that.
0: I see. And speaking of that, you mentioned it earlier on, there's been so many issues with pay gaps around race and gender and uh talk a little bit about how organizations can do their part to fix that pay gap.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of publication publicity about this in the press. I'm not sure all of it is accurate. Um, I was very interested in this gender equity issue because being a woman um, I would naturally pay attention to that and over the years I really hadn't noticed employers at least not intentionally discriminating against women, uh, at least not in recent times. Um, so I wondered where all the statistics were coming from. So we hired a Cal student as a summer intern a few years ago. And her whole task was to find out where that number came from, which was variously 87%, 85% of what women are in relative to men. Um, And so she did, she spent a lot of time researching it through the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And what she learned was quite astonishing. And that is um, that that statistic came from adding up all women's pay and dividing by the number of women and adding up all men's pay and dividing by the number of men to get a comparison of average pay. What was not taken into consideration was part-time. So in other words, if you were a half-time person, your salary was really treated as though you were a full-time person. Um, and also not anything to do with the levels of positions that people held. So that tells me that sh- that's not a surprising number because more women work part-time than men. So I'm not sure. So I'm not sure that these statistics should be taken at face value. Um, but employers, to answer your question. Employers simply need to know how much jobs are worth, independent of the people who hold them. So you're not looking at any protected class characteristics such as gender, age, race, whatever. You're only looking at the position as though it were yet to be filled. okay? Uh, Duties, responsibilities, qualifications, and so forth. And once you know that, Then you actually pay people relative to whatever criteria are important to the organization. It could be tenure, it could be years of experience, it could be performance. But the important thing is not to let who the person is in terms of their personal characteristics uh, be in any way, shape, or form a factor. And that's really where you get into performance because most employers say they want to link pay to performance. And then the question is, is your performance measurement tool also non-discriminatory? I could go on on that topic, but you probably don't want me to. <laughs> it's a
0: very sensitive topic. And yeah. I think it's worthy of a, of a significant discussion because of the emotions associated with it. And I appreciate you bringing up the fact that we may not be comparing apples to apples when looking at those statistics. And so... It sounds like what you're saying is the most important element is actually, first of all, knowing and understanding the the value of the job or the, you know, that's not the exact words you used, but the, uh, the job value. And then secondly, having the process set up internally to be able to essentially remove emotions from the decisions and that will allow organizations to achieve their objectives associated with compensation. Yes.
1: And it's also important in that that context for employers to not um, not give overall blanket increases because if you have um, if you have inequities and you give everyone a 3% increase, you're just perpetuating the any inequities you may have and so that's one way you can create inequities, and the other way is through hiring practices. So if you negotiate pay with a new hire, and you end up paying your new uh, employee either much less or much more than existing employees who have that position, you you create an immediate inequity which stays with you for years, unless you correct it. So those are the two primary ways employers sort of unwittingly uh, create these inequities and, you know, it really, it's not about the increase. It's about the actual pay.
0: Well, so much of in business, so much uh, of business is about business. Effectiveness is about being proactive and intentional and strategic in what we do. And it sounds like you're saying organizations that don't really follow those three elements in the areas of compensation, get into problems as a result.
1: Yes, that's that's why I don't think we'll ever have a shortage of business. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly, and, and speaking to these businesses that really don't have a structured comp plan in place, you know, they don't have a, they're, they're not proactive maybe, they're not strategic, they're not as intentional. They make emotion-based decisions around compensation. Perhaps they've done it for years. What would you say to those leaders in terms of their best first step in tackling what can feel like an overwhelming project. So maybe they ignore it.
1: Well, the first and most important step is to recognize that there's a need (laughs) and to think through what you really are intending to do. Um, And then for any organization structuring positions in terms of reporting relationships, qualifications and functions is very important. So sometimes we, we go into a situation where we're going to create a pay plan, um, but then we find out there's not clarity on the jobs themselves. And the titles often are meaningless or are misleading, even worse. Um, and so then we have to engage in an organizational design process where we say, what do we really need in terms of functions, levels, Uh, and accountabilities and then remap all the employees over into that new structure before we can even figure out how much they should be paid.
0: But all that work in investment really pays off in the end, doesn't it?
1: Well, sure. I mean, what we find is that employers who don't have a good pay structure, um, usually they're paying at least 25% of their employees too much, another 25% too little. And only half, and this is, we've looked at this across a number of organizations, only half are paid plus or minus even 10% of where they should be paid. Wow. So the costs are significant and so are the legal risks. And not only that, but the, the risk of losing employees because of low pay or being unable to hire new employees. I mean, the risks are, there's huge risks in not paying correctly. And a lot of them are financial.
0: So Sherry, what advice do you have for employees that are in organizations that really don't have a well thought out compensation plan? I mean, what are some of the ways that they can advocate for themselves and maybe know that they're getting paid fairly or when do they know whether they should be really looking around in, for other roles in other companies?
1: Well, as an employee, um, the first thing I would do is ask my supervisor what the pay rate is for my position and what the pay range is and so forth and where I stand in it and also what my opportunities are for promotion. And if the manager is unable to answer that question, then I would ask them to find out for me through HR. Uh, and if there is no plan, then as an employee, I think I would ask the employer to try to you know, create some more more structure and better communications around pay,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so that an employee can do something. But if the employer does tell them they have a structure and tells them where they're paid relative to that, um, then that should be, you know, the worst the, the worst they can say is, "Well, I don't agree with that," and then that can be the start of another conversation.
0: At least it shows the employee that the employer does have it thought out. They've yes. done some work in this area, so yes. that's helpful.
1: So a lot of employers have plans, but they're highly secretive, and, uh, and they, don't want, they don't want employees to know what they're doing because they can't really justify it sometimes. So that's another issue. You re, you, as an employer, you should be able to justify your pay plan to your employees.
0: Let's switch to some lightning round questions. You okay with that? Sure. (laughs) What is that? (laughs) That is where I get to just ask you some top of mind questions and you give me top of mind answers, whatever comes to mind. Okay. And so the first one I want to ask is share with our listeners one of the most valuable leadership lessons that you've learned over your career.
1: Oh, without question. Listen, it's the most Listen, listen, listen. Don't talk. Listen. It's by far the best uh, approach to managing people is if you don't know what they're thinking and you don't give them an opportunity to speak, uh, you're you're lost before you start.
0: I heard a great acronym on that recently, Sherry, which is WAIT. Why am I talking? WAIT. (laughs) Why am I talking? So we need to ask ourselves that. And then I also heard If you're still struggling after you wait, then it's waste. Why am I still talking?
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's a good one.
0: (laughs) So I think that's a, a profound bit of wisdom you just gave us all to listen more.
1: Oh, so important. Yes.
0: What are you most profoundly grateful for?
1: Oh, well, I would say I'm most profoundly grateful to be healthy personally. Yes. Yes. And I'm grateful to have a job too. <laughs> Those two things. Yeah. And I, I, yes, compared to what, what, uh, trouble so many people have, I feel very fortunate.
0: So if you could interview one person, who would it be? And it doesn't matter whether they're living or not.
1: Mother Teresa.
0: Ah, that's great.
1: My <laughs> favorite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel, um, I feel as though I would like to do more in the way of helping others. Mm -hmm. I mean, I get satisfaction out of my uh, career choice because I feel I'm doing some good in terms of helping employers um, do a better job of working with their employees. Um, But Mother Teresa took it to another whole level, way beyond that, and I admire that. She
0: she changed the world in many ways, didn't she? Yes what's your top book recommendation
1: my favorite business book i i like to read novels so i'm not going to recommend novels to anyone but I, my favorite business book is called Abol- abolishing performance appraisals it was written some time ago um but it's and it was written by organizational development consultants um but their last name was Cohen, c-o-e-n Uh, But it makes the case for the importance of separating the performance uh, development part of performance from the actual pay part of performance. uh, Which is kind of unusual for uh, organizational development professionals, because they they usually uh, think that development is far more important than pay. Uh, That's probably a stereotype, but that's been my experience. And this book is very, um, very ahead of its time, shall we say?
0: Sounds interesting, and I think there's a misnomer with a lot of people around technology because technology can actually be the enabler to help replace the performance review, the broken performance review, with a new model or method that works much more effectively, can't it?
1: Absolutely, and that's why I like your product. It's not. Not so focused on the and if anybody's listening, he didn't ask me to say that. Yeah,
0: we don't do advertising on this program. and
1: <laughs> but the thing is that a lot of software is focused on what we call performance appraisals and performance reviews, and clearly on the development part, which is fine, but in my view, you can't just take that you know assessment, which is often in a rating, and apply it to pay. It doesn't work very well because it's a different thing it's not right. the same thing as outcomes.
0: yes very subjective if you do that
1: yes and also and also most people really don't like doing it you know they uh, managers don't like sitting in judgment of their employees and employees don't like being judged and and the thing about employee development is it should be a positive experience for both parties it's an opportunity for them and a and a help helpful process uh, so, to rate them just kind of defeats the purpose in my mind.
0: And if you have a rock star performer that <clears throat> exceeds quota every quarter, but nobody can get along with them, are they really an average of a three or a four? Are exactly. they really? I don't think so. So,
1: <laughs> really should be coached, coached either to stay in or coached out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
0: Exactly. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Oh boy! Can I go back to the third grade? <laughs> <laughs> I always remembered this, and it was my Mrs. Cook in the third grade, and I remember asking her, it was like one of those things you remember for whatever reason. <laughs> I remember asking her what uh, what I should be when I grew up and uh, and she said, "You can be anything you want." And I don't know why, but that always stuck with me.
0: It's a great. Piece of advice, regardless of where we are in our career, isn't it? Yeah. We're always evolving. Humans, you know, are evolving. So, yes. I like that. And just to wrap things up, Sherry, what is the single most important takeaway for our human capital listeners today?
1: I'd say the most important is to take a holistic view of uh paying employees and and don't think of it as just pay or pay increases but think in the bigger picture of the contract you have with the employees in terms of what they do and what you do and what they achieve and what you achieve and how that all works together think big picture that's that's what I would say because without the big picture you can't create effective plans
0: great advice Sherry, I've really appreciated our conversation. Thank you for sharing all your wisdom with our listeners today and for being part of the show.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciated it. It was fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release a new episode of Human Capital on the first and third Tuesday of each month. I would really like to know what you thought of this episode. Send your comments to humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by Goalspan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.